Welcome to Fluctuating Tides, Episode 9. I'm your host, Some Coding Guy, and let's get right to it. This week I'm going to be covering JP Morgan Chase, ticker JPM, a very large, multinational, diversified bank that's quite a bit different than most of the stocks we've covered previously, which is a good thing considering how many tech stocks I've been covering to date. Banks are analyzed a bit differently than tech and medical companies, and to get started with the company's filings, we first need to talk about ROE. What is ROE? Return on equity, a common measure used when analyzing banks, gives us a general idea of how well a bank makes money, but it's a little more complicated than that. To calculate it, first we need to know what equity means. In this case, which is just the assets, or things of value the company possesses, with the liabilities, or the things the company owes like debts, removed. The value left over is usually called the shareholder's equity, the book value, or the net assets. We divide that into 12 months of net income to get the ROE, which gives us a fundamental measure of how much money it makes based on what it has to work with, but we'll get to that in a moment. To take an example, let's say I had a business with 100 bucks to invest, and I borrowed 50 bucks to get started. So at the start of the year, I have 100 bucks in assets, less 50 bucks in liabilities, so I have net assets of 50 bucks if I paid it all off today. Now let's say I have a great quarter, making 10% on the 100 bucks that I invested, so my net income is 10 bucks. 10 bucks in net income divided by 50 bucks in equity, so I had 20% return on equity for the quarter. Now next quarter, I should probably pay the 50 bucks back, but given how low interest rates are, maybe we'll put that off until we want a more complicated example. Now most of the time, businesses don't just magically make 10 bucks out of 100, but in the more general case, the business usually has to build whatever it is that it sells from raw supplies, that it turns into finished products that are ready to be sold. Before they sell them, we call them inventory, but after selling them, they become revenue, and if this was a public company, the related cost of making the items sold would show up on the income statement as cost of goods sold. Most of the businesses that we've covered so far fit into this category, such as Zillow buying a house and fixing it up to sell, or Broadcom taking a silicon wafer and turning it into microchips. But for some businesses, the goods themselves can't be seen or touched. We call those intangibles. And Unity's game development software, or Blizzard's game catalog, fit into this category. But the idea still boils down to taking some basic components and selling them for more than they cost. Looking at how expenses relate to revenue was covered in earlier shows when we talked about net earnings, or net income, and we looked at comparing sales with expenses needed to make them. But in the case of net assets, we're talking about what the company has at the moment that's worth something, instead of how much it made in sales or how profitable it was in a quarter. Banks, on the other hand, derive their revenue from a few sources, usually split between fee-based products and non-fee-based products. We're all familiar with fees, but for big investment banks, that might include things like taking a company public through an IPO or delivering cash around the world, but non-fee-based revenues often involve a spread between rates. Back in the day, the classic example was paying customers 3% interest on their savings, keeping some of the money on hand if you needed it, and then lending the rest out for people to buy houses with a mortgage paid back at 6%. Banks also used to close at 3 p.m. back then, leading to the term the 363 crowd, but I haven't heard of that working in the U.S. in recent memory. That type of non-fee revenue works based on the spread between how much it costs for you to borrow the money, in this case 3%, and how much you can earn on it, in this case, say, 6%. These days, there's a far more complex version of this idea in common use by the big banks, but the general idea of playing the spread between various rates is still a common way to think about these things. 
Loans are very low interest these days due to a number of factors, but JP Morgan still expects to make about $53 billion this quarter on it. In the case of a bank, things are a little bit flipped from our usual understanding of businesses. Depositing in a savings account shows up as a liability to a bank, since that's not really the bank's money. They're effectively borrowing it from the depositors at the interest rates that they pay out. It can also be an asset if they keep the cash on hand, but like I said, things can look different from the bank's perspective, so keep your eyes open when looking at the financial statements. Now, J.P. Morgan Chase is a very big bank. Their business lines are involved, and their most recent quarterly filing covering the last three months is 193 pages long, before getting to all of the attachments, so you might want to pour a few cups of coffee before settling down to read it. The detail is fantastic, however, and there's quite a lot you can learn by paging through it, and their CEO, Jamie Dimon, has been called the smartest guy on Wall Street a number of times through his career, which doesn't hurt their reputation any. Regardless how clever their CEO is, let's take a look at a few of the numbers. I'll try to keep this analysis simple, and we'll circle back in future episodes to cover this in more detail. The bank uses a number of preferred stock classes in addition to common stock, so to get ROE on a common stock basis, we'll need to back a few things out versus a company with a single class of shares, which I'll cover in more detail in the spreadsheet attached in the show notes. But at a high level, to get ROE, we need the net income on an annualized basis and the shareholder's equity, in this case for the common stock. As I mentioned, equity is the part left over after taking liabilities out of assets. With the preferred shares and dividends pulled out, that's about $250 billion, to use round numbers. Net income, or the bottom line, was about $12 billion for the quarter. So, times four, we get $48 billion for the full year. 48 divided by 250 gives us 19%, or just a hair over the actual number, which is 18%. But like I said, this is easier to see with the actual numbers in the show notes. If we wanted a bit more accuracy, we could add up the last four quarters worth of net income instead of taking the recent number and multiplying it by four. But for estimating purposes, this gives us a quick idea of what's going on. The bank also includes this calculation in its financial statements, useful for a quick glance, but I always find it helpful to make sure that I know what went into the calculation, just in case I'd rather do my analysis excluding or including certain items. All right, so JP Morgan had a regular ROE of 18% for the past quarter. Is that good? Well, depending on how you calculate it, the S&P 500 in total is somewhere between 9 and 14%. So yeah, 18% sounds pretty good. With the industry average at 13% and a very healthy balance sheet, even with the lower returns in the credit card businesses and housing, the outlook and the future branch and digital expansions are interesting, and management has demonstrated flexibility in reacting to evolving market conditions. Just around the time of this podcast, Chase released an earnings preview ahead of their filings, and the CEO and CFO discussed strong access to capital for further expansion on the balance sheet, with little desire to maintain excess funds. Jamie went on to note in a question regarding additional dry powder, or excess cash to put to work, We have $1.6 trillion of cash in marketable securities. We have well over $200 million of equity. We can issue preferreds, we can issue debt, we can issue stock if we really had to do something. So I don't think we need dry powder. I think our capital cup runneth over where it is. Given all this, Tidal River is going to take a position in J.P. Morgan Chase this week. If you like the podcast and want to see more content like this get created, feel free to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or buy a photo from TidalRiverInvestments.com. Money earned on the photos gets deposited in the investment account. 
As always, Tidal River Investments and I are not financial advisors, market analysts, or otherwise in any way offering advice for or against any of the securities discussed. Meet with your financial advisor for that information. Stocks and funds may not be good investments for you, depending on your financial situation. We're here for learning, not advice, and I wish you the best on your financial journey. And remember, tides fluctuate.